1: Is Elon Musk already stepping down as head of Twitter after only a couple of short tumultuous months at the helm? Musk posted a Twitter poll asking should he resign, saying the results would be binding, and the majority of respondents said yes. Liberal Public Safety Minister
0: Marco Mendicino says the federal right to confiscate and regulate firearms was well settled by the Supreme Court, despite Alberta's refusal to dedicate policing resources
1: toward Ottawa's gun grab. The British Columbia Court of Appeal has upheld the Public Health Authority's decision to impose strict bans on in-person worship at three churches back during the pandemic. In a ruling published on Friday, a justice dismissed concerns brought forward by complainants from three churches in B.C.
0: With Canadians facing historical inflation rates and a looming recession, shoplifting has surged to an alarming rate across Canada.
1: Hello, Canada. It's Monday, December 19th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury.
0: And I'm Jasmine Moulton.
1: We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Should I step down as head of Twitter? I will abide by the results of this poll. That was the question Twitter owner Elon Musk put to his 122 million followers over the weekend, and the people said yes. Out of 17.5 million votes, 57.5% of respondents said yes. Musk should step down. Now, as of Monday morning, Musk had not yet commented on the results. But as many observers have noted, Musk will still remain the owner of Twitter, which he purchased for $44 billion earlier this year. Jasmine, what do we think of this? Is this all just one big stunt, the whole experience of Musk owning and running Twitter? Or is this just a guy who's trying to make things work and dealing with the hurdles as they arise?
0: What we do know, Anthony, is that Elon Musk is a man of his word. He said that he'd run a Twitter poll to ask people on Twitter if Donald Trump should be reinstated to the platform, and when the people voted overwhelmingly yes, he followed through on his word and allowed the president to make that choice for himself if he would rejoin Twitter. So it should be really interesting in the next few hours to see what will become of this poll if he will follow through and step down.
1: Yeah, I don't think to answer my question that I put out there, I don't think it's that much of a stunt. I think what we're really seeing in all of this back and forth and Musk just sort of trying things out and then reversing them is in the tech world and Silicon Valley, they have this phrase that I've really come to admire called move fast and break things. I believe that's what they call it. Basically meaning, look, guys, just throw everything at the wall, see what works, try things. And and they look at failure, whether it's of a a whole corporation you've started or of just an idea, as something to be admired. It's something you learn from and it's how you make progress. We're not used to seeing that in the sort of heavily uh, media relations, PR savvy, uh big corporation world traditional corporations i mean the politics world it's sort of like what you say at the press conference is what you stick to until your dying day and i think musk is just kind of doing stuff whether it's does the blue check mark thing work do we pay the eight bucks for it or not Uh, i said i wasn't going to ban people but suddenly i'm I'm banning people for sharing flight information okay people don't like that he's just sort of testing stuff out and seeing how it goes and and happy to almost do mea culpa's when they don't fly
0: we also have to remember anthony that Twitter is not the only company that Elon owns, of course. Tesla is one, and its stock has been floundering recently, and I'm just reading headlines now that the stock has been surging in the pre-market after he offered to step down as Twitter CEO. So as per usual with uh, the strategic business owner, there could be other things at play here, including the stock price of some of the other companies that he owns.
1: It's a really interesting idea to think that Tesla's valuation, so much of it was actually just based on whether or not the CEO was was focused on the project. It kind of suggests that the underlying valuation of electric vehicle companies is not actually connected to the underlying economic fundamentals and how many of these cars people are actually buying.
0: As Alberta pushes back against the Trudeau government's gun grab scheme, Liberal Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino claims the federal right to confiscate and regulate firearms was well settled by the Supreme Court. Mendicino made the statement in response to a question from a journalist about the sweeping liberal gun ban legislation, Bill C-21, on Friday. Here's what that sounded like.
1: One last question on Alberta. Where where does this leave the RC, Where does this leave the RCMP in the sense you have two competing jurisdictions battling over this uh, over these gun bans? And could this create more public safety concerns if they have to deal with confiscating guns while you have one jurisdiction saying no, this isn't constitutional, and the federal government saying yes, we can do this? Look, uh, I am confident that the Supreme Court has examined this question around uh, federal jurisdiction over the regulation of firearms. It's well-settled law now for about uh, 20 uh, or something, maybe approaching 22 years now, uh, that, that the question of how it is that we create rules around um, gun regulation falls within the jurisdiction of the federal government. That's precisely what C21 is. Uh, it is a piece of federal legislation that is proposed to become law that is about the regulation of firearms. In so far as how we implement it, uh, we'll maintain a very robust dialogue with all of our provinces and territories, including Alberta, so that uh, we can make sure that uh, that, that policy uh, does what it's intended to do, uh, which is to uh, to keep our communities safe from gun crime.
0: Alberta has stated it will take back jurisdiction on charges under the Firearms Act, with Alberta Crown prosecutors taking over any relevant cases. Alberta and Saskatchewan have indicated that they will not dedicate provincial policing resources to target law-abiding firearm owners. Anthony, the minister described this as well-settled, but what's he talking about? Do the provinces have the upper hand here?
1: Well, I think the provinces are definitely flipping this back on the feds because it's not a good situation for them to be in to bring in this piece of legislation that they have provincial governments, they have various police forces saying, you're actually taking resources away from crime fighting here. What are you doing? We just can't be wasting time with all of this. There's been a lot of hang wringing, Jasmine, about the Alberta Sovereignty Act and whether it's fraying the Federation. But let's be honest, we're seeing more and more examples of the Trudeau government, I think, damaging Federation in terms of. Uh, putting forward things like uh, their own climate carbon taxes, which are sending provinces to court on it. We had that rather contentious court battle. Looks like we're setting ourselves up for a battle here over jurisdictions. I mean, why so many jurisdictional fights? The federal liberal government under Trudeau is, is really looking like a bullying operation these days.
0: Now, we've heard that Alberta and Saskatchewan so far have banded together against this. But what do you think the other provinces will do? Will they join in the fight as well?
1: Well, whether they'll do it loudly or quietly, I don't know, but I think they're all going to be joining in because we've even had urban areas like Toronto policing experts say, look, we don't want to allocate resources to going and confiscating legally, previously legal firearms that people owned uh, decades ago that they're not even doing much with. Meanwhile, we're dealing with criminals who have illegal firearms. Uh, recent news just over the weekend of a tragic shooting happening in the Toronto area. I mean, those are the real things that we got to be focusing on here. And I'm going to imagine, as as so many experts have said, that that tragic shooting did not involve some sort of legally owned long gun that's suddenly been ensnared in these new lists.
0: Definitely an issue to keep an eye on in the coming months. Now, Anthony, over to you with a story on a court case against pandemic measures in B.C.
1: While many provinces across Canada have been dropping fines for individuals and organizations that supposedly violated public health rules during the pandemic, the British Columbia Court of Appeal has upheld their public health authority's decision to impose bans on in-person worship at churches in BC between November 2020 and May 2021. So complaints from Riverside Cavalry Chapel, Emanuel Covenant Reform Church, and the Free Reform Church of Chilliwack were all dismissed by Justice Lane Fitch on Friday. Fitch wrote, quote, the appeal is dismissed as moot as the prohibition on outdoor protests is no longer in effect and the violation tickets issued to him have been stayed. She said the province's ban on in-person gatherings for religious worship, quote, fell within a reasonable range of outcomes. Earlier this year, BC Crown prosecutors dropped a host of charges against three pastors pertaining to defiance of lockdown orders. In total, 24 tickets were relinquished worth $55,000 in fines, including against a pastor with the Free Reformed Church. In an Alberta, a ruling in July from the Alberta Court of Appeal vindicated Pastor Arthur Pathlosky, who was arrested and jailed for breaching pandemic health measures. Jasmine, it's interesting to see that these are still in the courts. There are still cases today over various uh, vaccine mandates on the, the more private level, people being fired uh, from their employment because of various mandates. And I think a lot of organizations out there, and a lot of individuals still want to litigate them in the courts, even if the fines have dropped, because they're fighting on points of principle here.
0: And what they'll likely find most disappointing is that the courts dismissed it as moot. They're probably looking to say, let's set a precedent here. Let's not let the government trample on our rights like this again in the future. But of course, the courts have responded that these measures are no longer in effect. uh, So that's why they were declared moot.
1: No, Jasmine, I think it's a great point about people who want to see precedents set, because a lot of the frustrations that uh, that were felt were not just, I don't want this in the immediate term. I also want to make sure this doesn't recur next year. I don't want them to be able to say on capricious reasons because COVID or, or the flu, because we now see arguments that, for instance, school kids need to wear masks for just the cold, the flu and so on. I don't want to see mandates imposed at my kid's school, at my church or place of employment, whatever it is. Uh, based on capricious reasoning from public health. I think that's what a lot of people wanted to get out of these court battles. So while some of the more egregious fines against them have been dropped, there's still annoying frustration at things being unresolved.
0: And what remains to be seen is the damage that's been done in terms of trust of public health officials in this country. Anthony, at the beginning of the pandemic, nobody knew anything about COVID-19, and people were prepared to give up some of their freedoms to try to quell the spread of this disease. But let's remember that This started back in Canada in March of 2020, the lockdowns began. And even into earlier this year, and as you aptly pointed out, ongoing in some parts of the country, there are still measures in effect. So this wasn't necessarily an emergency situation the whole time. Time went on for the rest of 2020, then through 2021, and, and they're still ongoing. So I think that people have started to question public health officials that have continued to have these restrictive measures in place. Canadians are resorting to desperate measures as the price of food continues to rise across the country. According to industry leaders, shoplifting has surged to an alarming level across Canada with inflation cited as a major factor. Grocery prices were up 11% year over year in October and are not expected to ease anytime soon. And according to the most recent edition of Canada's food price report, the total cost of groceries for a family of four is expected to be over $1,000 more next year. Senior director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, Sylvain Charbois, says the intensity of theft actually does increase when food prices go up. Charlebois says meat and dairy products are the top two stolen items. Anthony, this sort of story about shoplifting food items is particularly jarring in a country like Canada. Are Canadians really experiencing dire straits here? Because this seems like a pretty extreme measure.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, people are talking about what they see on the shelves, how prices are going up. Over the weekend, I was at a Food Basics, which is a, a discount food uh, food store, discount grocery store, and I was surprised to see a pack of cereal priced at over $10. Now, it was a, a jumbo pack, like a double pack, uh, which partially explains it, but I've just never seen a cereal package with a 10 in front of it, those, those two digits, as opposed to being $7, $8, or what have you. And you look at the cost of some basic goods and You look at the numbers out there in terms of just what people are paying for everything and they're not getting big raises. I'm not surprised people are resorting to things like shoplifting, despite the fact I obviously don't approve of it.
0: Anthony, I recently saw the prime minister give a speech where he objected in very strong terms to opposition leader Pierre Polyev's phrasing that Canada's broken. But anecdotally I hosted an extended family Christmas on the weekend where one of the family members I had had twins that she couldn't find medicine for another family was supposed to go to Mexico this year but they couldn't get their passports and of course as the host I was keenly aware of the escalating price of food in this country so it really does seem like Canada is broken what would you say to that?
1: Yeah, you certainly laid it on the line with those great examples. And to your point, that's just one family gathering coming together telling their stories the medicine example it's quite something i had a similar situation with my children we couldn't find any medicine and a neighbor who was flying back from san francisco from work said i'll bring you some back and you're like what is this we're having like we're basic medicine airlifted into canada from the united states because we're somehow like not a developed nation anymore i mean those are the signals that are being sent i'm still uh, jaw dropping from the fact that we had ontario hospitals which were closing on weekends and on evenings because they just couldn't figure out their staffing resources. I mean, this is not something that should be happening in a G7 nation. None of it. None of those examples.
0: It would be interesting to see polling certainly on this question to find out directly from Canadians. Do you feel like your country is broken?
1: That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.